0: Welcome to the PCC Podcast, your place for CNS soundbites. Hi, I'm John Shelton, publisher of the Primary Care Companion for CNS Disorders. In the next 30 minutes, I'll bring you up to date on the important peer-reviewed research and reviews from our latest issue. Let's get started. According to previous studies, individuals with borderline personality disorder report higher ratings of pain than other patients. In the present study, Sansone and colleagues re-examined pain responses in individuals with borderline personality as well as the phenomenon of pain catastrophizing when one experiences catastrophic thoughts and feelings about pain. In this study, 238 internal medicine outpatients were examined. The investigators used two self-report measures to diagnose borderline personality disorder. In addition to measures to assess borderline personality disorder, participants were asked about pain at present, pain over the past month, and pain over the past year. Finally, all participants completed the pain-catastrophizing scale. Individuals who scored positively on either measures of borderline personality reported statistically significantly higher levels of pain. Participants with borderline personality features also scored statistically significantly higher on the pain catastrophizing scale. Thus, the findings confirm the investigators' hypotheses that individuals with borderline personality disorder do indeed report higher levels of pain as well as higher levels of pain catastrophizing. While the finding that patients with borderline personality disorder report higher levels of pain than others has been reported. The observed findings with the pain catastrophizing scale are entirely new and may partially explain the elevations in the pain reports of these patients. Addressing the primary care needs of patients with serious mental illness is a daunting challenge. With implementation of the Affordable Care Act, opportunity exists for expansion of innovative, integrated health care projects to meet this need. The article by Shackleford and colleagues provides a description of one such model. It focuses on the burdened but understudied community mental health setting. Specifically, it examines the structure of a primary care clinic that is co-located within a large community mental health clinic. In this initial study, the authors set out to understand who is currently receiving the co-located primary care services, what the referral criteria are, and what the patient's psychiatric and medical comorbidities are. Through chart review, results showed that the co-located clients had more severe psychiatric illness, but similar levels of medical illness compared to patients receiving primary care elsewhere. The most common medical illnesses for co-located patients were metabolic syndrome-related. Clients appeared to be referred into the clinic based more on psychiatric than medical illness severity. In the future, the authors would like to perform analyses before and after assignment to the co-located clinic to determine model effectiveness. An interesting finding from the study was that this particular co-located clinic had developed a stepped care approach. This structure has been validated as effective in traditional primary care and encourages practitioners to perform at the top of their skill set. Analysis of this model of primary care and others for the population of patients with serious mental illness is an important step towards developing standards of care for this area of medicine. Metazepine is an antidepressant with unique attributes that has therefore gained popularity among many prescribers, particularly those on inpatient consult and liaison psychiatry services. This article set out to characterize the benefits of metazapine to patients with comorbid conditions. One of the hallmarks of mitazapine is its relatively rapid onset with simultaneous improvement of sleep and appetite. Thus, it is often the therapy of choice for the melancholic, restless, and frail patients. Additionally, mitazapine has been found to be useful as an anti-emetic and in pain management. The weight gain associated with mitazapine is problematic for many patients, but, on the other hand, can help alleviate the caucasia associated with cancer or cystic fibrosis. Metazepine also shows promise in treating some neurologic disorders, such as essential tremor. The evidence is more inconclusive when it comes to mitazapine in the treatment of substance dependence or obstructive sleep apnea. Hepatitis can result in depression and or recurrence of affective illness when interferon therapy is prescribed. These side effects could result in cessation of interferon treatment. However, antidepressant drugs may diminish symptoms associated with interferon-induced depression. In this article, Shaw and colleagues review the existing literature on the treatment of interferon-induced depression. They found that escitalopram is the most prominently noted pharmaceutical prescribed for treating mood symptoms in hepatitis patients with interferon-induced depression. Other antidepressant medicines may have utility as well. Prescribing antidepressant drugs can have efficacy at diminishing mood disorders during hepatitis therapies. It remains controversial as to whether antidepressant medications can provide prophylaxis against newly developing interferon-induced depressions in individuals with no past history of a mood disorder. Kava is an herbal remedy popular for centuries among native Pacific Islanders for its sedative effects and use in religious ceremonies. Kava gained popularity in Western countries due to its anxiolytic properties. However, very little is known about potential adverse reactions to kava other than reports of hepatotoxicity. This brief report explores two cases of patients seen on the psychiatric emergency and consult service who developed severe side effects from psychotropic medications in the context of kava use. In both cases, kava use may have affected the metabolism of the psychotropic medications, leading to serious side effects. Growing research indicates that kava most likely alters concentrations of co-administered psychotropics, possibly by inhibiting cytochrome P450 enzymes. This case series highlights the need for greater awareness of safety issues among kava users who also take medications that, when combined with kava, can be life-threatening at toxic levels. Pharmacogenomic testing, along with further research about kava and its metabolites, could help determine a pharmacologic solution for patients who require psychotropic medications but who would like to preserve cultural traditions and religious practice. Depression has been linked to adverse coronary artery disease outcomes. Whether depression treatment improves or worsens coronary artery disease prognosis is unclear. This 25-year systematic review examines medical outcomes and, secondarily, mood outcomes of depression treatment among patients with coronary artery disease. The review yielded 10 randomized controlled trials. Results show that antidepressant therapy and or psychotherapy did not significantly influence coronary artery disease outcomes in the overall population, but most studies were underpowered. There was a trend towards worse coronary artery disease outcomes after treatment with bupropion. After an acute coronary syndrome, depression often spontaneously remitted without treatment. However... Post-acute coronary syndrome persistence of depression predicted adverse coronary artery disease outcomes. Antidepressant therapy and or psychotherapy, particularly as part of the Coronary Psychosocial Evaluation Studies intervention, may improve prognosis in persistent depression among post-acute coronary syndrome patients. Among patients with coronary artery disease, prescriptions of noradrenergic antidepressants should be done with caution in consultation with the patient's internist or cardiologist. Difficult to treat depression, such as depression with atypical or anxious symptoms, treatment-resistant depression, or depression with frequent recurrence is a challenging real-world health issue. This critical review of the literature focuses on monamine oxidase inhibitor MAOI therapy and difficult-to-treat forms of depression. Two strategies have fallen out of favor in the care of patients with major depressive disorder. The first is the use of MAOI therapy, and the second is the proactive recognition of difficult-to-treat depression that may not respond as well to more frequently used antidepressants. The infrequent use of MAOIs stems from the perception that other oral therapies for depression are safer and easier to use than oral MAOIs. However, Transdermal delivery is one potential strategy to improve the safety of this class of agents. Although food-related interactions with transdermal delivery of MAOI therapy can be lessened, clinicians still need to be vigilant for drug-drug interactions and serotonin syndrome. Clinicians should consider MAOIs for patients who have had several unsuccessful trials of antidepressants patients should be provided education about MAOIs and their risks. Medical writing and editorial assistance was supported by Mylin Specialty LP. Have you ever wondered why people allow themselves to become obese? Or have been frustrated by not knowing how to help your obese patients control their appetite and weight? Have you assumed that psychiatric conditions can drive weight gain and its downstream complications? If you have, then this issue's rounds in the general hospital should prove useful for learning more about obesity, its assessment, and its treatment. The authors maintain that patients with psychiatric disorders are especially prone to the development of obesity, and physicians caring for such patients should conduct careful assessments of obesity risk factors and metabolic derangements. Numerous treatment modalities have shown success in the treatment of obesity in patients with psychiatric disorders as well as those in the general population. However, patients with pre-existing mental illness or disordered eating are especially vulnerable to complications following bariatric surgery. Now we invite you to engage online in an interactive CME case study from the Banner Alzheimer's Institute. The Banner Alzheimer's Institute case conference is a weekly event in which physicians and staff discuss challenging cases of patients seen at the Institute's Stead Family Memory Clinic. In this issue of The Companion, we highlight the case of Mr. A., A 73-year-old man with Parkinson's disease and cognitive impairment, including worsening short-term memory, difficulty with activities of daily living, and inappropriate sexual comments and behaviors. Does this patient have dementia with Lewy bodies, Parkinson's, or vascular dementia, or Alzheimer's disease? Visit us online at primarycarecompanion.com to answer questions about this patient case and find out how your colleagues who attended the weekly case conference responded in this instructive offering. Please visit us online at primarycarecompanion.com for new postings, including a new entry in the psychotherapy casebook, the opportunity for continuing medical education credit, case reports, and special web-based interactive content. Thanks for joining me for this summary of offerings and our current issue of the Primary Care Companion for CNS Disorders. This is John Shelton signing off. I hope you'll join me for the next installment of the PCC podcast, Your Place for CNS Soundbites.